Welcome to The Testament, a podcast that spotlights the amazing real-life stories of everyday people who've been transformed by their surrender to Jesus Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of one of the many miraculous before and after accounts of lives forever changed by encountering the Savior. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Testament. My name is Jeff Keck, and I am your host. I'm here today with a good friend of mine, uh, who the owner of Camp Anathan, actually, uh, which is in Mansfield, Texas, David Williford. David, thanks for getting me on today. Yeah, thanks for having me out. It's fun. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, that's a good question, huh? <laughs> who is David <laughs> Williford? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a father. I'm, uh, I'm married. I have a wife and a business. And I'm a, I'm a Marine Corps veteran, which I'm very proud of. I'm proud of my service. Thanks for your service. Yeah, thank you. I'd do it all over again. Um, I have uh, three kiddos. I have uh, Emery, Marcus, and Laurel, five, uh, six, almost seven, and a nine-year-old. Hmm. So that's fun. Yeah. Wake up every morning to them. And uh, yeah, Laurel and Marcus are great. They, uh, they, <laughs> they're not sleeping in their beds yet. And so they will they will sneak down at three o'clock in the morning, and they have the Marcus has been doing it since he was you know since he could walk he would not stay in his crib huh yeah and I don't know why but uh, we'd put him to bed and uh, we'd hear this sort of like shuffling at the top of the stairs and I would look up and I'd see Marcus hold on to the the rails can't walk yet and I, I can just see his little face peering down between the the rails uh-huh. and he's just staring down at me and. Uh, you know, so we'd take him back upstairs and put him back in his crib. And uh, <laughs> a few minutes later, we'd always hear this, this boom. <laughs> and <laughs> so you would just know Marcus had, had climbed and then jumped out of his crib again. Ugh. And so he did that as a routine for, for like months until he could walk. And then you, you could, you'd stop hearing the dum, and then you, he would just show up. <laughs> and then he's been doing that ever since. That's funny. So, uh, so he's, sleep, he's sleeping with y'all, or, or well, so sneaking he's, down to the couch. Yeah, no, he st- he starts out in his bed. Oh, okay, and then uh, it, it'll either be him, Laurel, or both will just come down into our room in the middle of the night. Sometimes, <laughs> usually like two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. And, uh, uh, you know, I used to take them back up to their room. Yeah, and uh, but. And they've been doing it so long now that, you know, some nights you're just like, man, I'm not getting up out of bed to do this. Yeah. And so uh, they just keep doing it and we kind of let them, which I don't know. It's not a good thing, <laughs> uh, you know, but as a parent, you know, sometimes you just, I'd, I'd rather sleep than yeah. get up and Have carry to worry the about that all out. the time. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good. Hey, well, this, so this, uh, this, the show is all about um, how Jesus Christ has changed lives. Yeah. Um, so if you would, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, how you came to know who Jesus is and then what yeah. kind of, you know, how, how has life changed for you since uh, accepting Christ into your heart? Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot um, since you asked me to be on the podcast. And the the story isn't, it's not a one-off story. Um, my dad was a missionary, um, so, was, you know, my, my parents were. And uh, I grew up overseas in South America, in Peru. And uh, we spent a year in Costa Rica so that my parents could could learn the language. And then we moved uh, to Peru when I was about five or six years old. Right. And 
before that, my dad was a, a pastor, a Southern Baptist pastor in, in churches, and so I grew up hearing the gospel on a regular basis. Mm. I was in the church, um, and so when 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 you ask me that question, um, I, I see it over the course of you know forty one years or so that I've that I've been alive. Um, I can look back and I can remember the the moment I asked Christ into my heart mm -hmm. and the moment it became real. And I was about, I want to say six or seven years old. Yeah. And uh, I remember waking up and get out of my bed, incidentally, just like Marcus does. And I went to the landing of our stairs. And I remember... Uh, being at the, at the top of the landing and looking down into kind of the space below and the lights are off and it's dark and it's just, you know, when you're seven, everything seems so far away. Yeah. And uh, I remember looking down in there and, 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 and being kind of overcome with this, uh, this sense of dread and, uh, like, um, I don't know, you know, as, as a police officer, you might've had moments where you feel that, uh, you feel this, your stomach drop, mm -hmm. you know, that, and that adrenaline spike, that fight or flight, sort of uh, sensation, and um, I felt that. And it occurred to me for the first time, I think, when I was uh, seven years old around there, that I was going to die mm. one day and that I, I didn't want to die. Mm -hmm. And I was, there was an intense amount of fear. Um, so I uh, did what hopefully every seven-year-old can do, and I went and I jumped in bed with my parents, and my dad, once again gave me the gospel yeah. and I accepted Christ mm. as as my Lord and Savior. I think you know as as best you can at that age. Sure. At 7. And I always throw that that little caveat in there because my life is not um you know get saved at 7 and then lead a perfect perfect uh church life. Yeah. Um yeah. well it rarely is though. Yeah. Yeah. Well yeah, and but but yeah and 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 so I think there's this there's this sentiment, there's this sort of kind of unspoken thing that uh, once you accept Jesus that that you're good, you're done, you're set. Right, right? Yeah. You're a Christian now, congratulations, slap, slap on the back, high five. Yeah. rest of the world's going to be great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. here's, your, here's yeah. your fire insurance, yeah. Yeah. right? Stick it in your pocket, um, and, uh, and, and, and that's it. Um, but what I found looking back is that um, there were immense spiritual and moral challenges to overcome in the years from being seven all the way up to 41, mm -hmm, yeah. you know? And, and so when somebody asked me, uh, you know, when were you saved? I always think back to that moment. Sure. But then immediately I realized that I'm, I'm being saved, right? There's this mm -hmm. process of sanctification that's occurring in me through the Holy Spirit and that, and that, we love and, and serve a living God who is real, as real as you are right now, sitting across the table from me. And that I have a relationship with the, uh, with the Holy Spirit who's working in me to, um, to make me holy, despite right. my best efforts oftentimes to, to disregard it. Mm -hmm. Less now that I'm older. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, seven, looking down into the staircase, and then my dad... Um, led me to the Lord and I was baptized in a, uh, in a river yeah. in, in Peru. Um, I still remember the name. The name of the river was, um, the Remac river Remac. 
I believe that's the name of the river. So, and uh, yeah, I had a, kind of a unique, unique upbringing. Yeah. So that is something that uh, people don't understand too, is, is just that when you become a Christian, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean life's great all of a sudden, uh-huh. right? I mean, there's a growth process like you're talking about. Um, and, and I've heard a lot of stories, and we've done a few stories on this podcast, where people were saved at a very young age, but then you get in, start getting into middle school and high yeah. school and college or military or whatever, yeah. and that's not a time where they were exhibiting Christian-like yeah. um, attitudes or things like that. Yeah. And then God usually, at some point, really just smacks them in the throat and says, <laughs> that's, look, it's time to wake up. Yeah. You know. So yeah. how, how was that for you? Um, yeah, I... I uh, so you know, if I if I put kind of like flagpoles on it, you know, or uh, mile markers, mm-hmm. I would say tenth um, grade, um, year sophomore year of high school. Yeah. Um, I am. If you were to ask me, "Are you saved?" I would have told you, "Yes." Mm-hmm. Um, I said the prayer. Yeah. Right. And that's usually what working with youth, like I do at summer camp, that's usually like kind of the go-to answer that everybody says. Um, I would have told you the same thing. Um, but my life was not chasing that. I yeah. wasn't chasing it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was uh, interested in girls and, uh, and interested in, um, you know, being friends with people who were not, leading Christian moral lives. I don't, right. I don't even know if that's yeah. the right way to say it. Um, so here's, here's the, here's the, here's the, the, the thing. Um, so, you know, we grew up overseas and lived in South America. And then at some point in time in the nineties, 96, 97, we came from the United States back to, or I'm sorry, we came from Peru back to the United States and huge transition. Um, culturally, you know, I'm, I, at that period in time, I had considered myself American, but I'd probably lived maybe half of my life, if that, in the United States, yeah. and the other half had been lived overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, it was a huge transition period, and I found that the people who accepted me and who wanted to be friends with me were not the church-going friends. They yeah. were the the kiddos who were smoking pot yeah. and drinking and going out and doing things like that on the weekend. And so... Um, I also, you know, I grew up in a country in which there was no, uh, there was no sort of cultural Christianity to fall upon. Uh, it, it, I, I don't want to call it amoral, but it certainly was not sort of the the, the Southern Bible Belt structures yeah. that are in place, right? So um, for me, coming to the United States and hanging out with the kiddos who are up to no good seemed very natural to me. In fact, I w- wouldn't have been able to tell you that it was anything wrong with it. Sure, yeah. And so, um, you know, um, smoking weed and, and and hanging out with my friends um, did not seem um, like a bad thing. It just seemed like that's what you do because they're mm-hmm. your friends and they're accepting you, whereas the church kids kind of didn't. Right. Um, which, looking back on, you know, I don't really fault them because there's this mindset in the church where that those kids are bad, Right, mm-hmm. you don't hang out with the kids that do drugs, and you don't hang out with the kids that are that are drinking. You don't have yeah. to hang out with the kids that are up to no good, so to speak. And so, uh, you know, I think what I found is a very natural sort of rejection from the church, and a very 
natural sort of embrace of people who are kind of up to no good and don't know it. Right. Right. Um, so welcome to being a human, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 And, and so when I, looking back on it, man, I just see the Lord constantly pouring into my life, um, through my parents, um, through, uh, through getting in trouble and kind of being re- redirected. Um, I remember, I, I don't remember the, the series of events that occurred. Um, okay. Yeah, here we go. Uh, I went to a youth group, um, and then we went to a church camp. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you had this sort of spiritual awakening, spiritual moment at church camps, which you often happen, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're geared towards doing that. And, um, you know, there's this intense moment of conviction and of the sense of, like, needing to turn towards the Lord and away from, um, away from, being and embracing that other environment, right? right? And what was interesting is that looking back, it was not about, it wasn't even recognizing that the things that I was doing was necessarily wrong. It was recognizing that the Lord was so much better. Hmm. Um, I, I don't, and, and I don't even know if that's really putting it into words. So, uh, I, basically tell my parents, you know, hey, mom, dad, I've been smoking weed and, you know, up to no good. And uh, they were very gracious, very loving. Um, I think there was some hurt there. Yeah. Um, obviously, sense of betrayal, since, uh, you know, they were missionaries and I kind of did this, <laughs> the, yeah. the, the, the yeah. wayward missionary pastored kid sort of thing, pastor kid. Um, so... That that period of time kind of sparked a, a new um, interest in in uh, in scripture and the Bible and following the Lord and in learning my theology and getting my theology right. And I didn't know it at the time, but that but that's what was happening. I was correcting kind of years of misunderstanding um, and and years of of kind of ignorance theologically. Um, I kind of began to get this correction and and. Uh, in high school, mm. my sophomore year, so <clears throat> um, I was. What was interesting then is that I found acceptance in the church all of a sudden, and then rejection from uh, you know everybody yeah. else, which is really yeah. interesting because now I'm I'm literally carrying a Bible uh-huh. uh, to school and I'm reading it, and uh, I'm getting looks from my friends like, "What's going on with mm-hmm. this guy? Why uh, why are you doing this?" and uh, so it was kind of this, you know, this flip, and um, then I go on to uh, college, and I'm at East Texas Baptist University, and I make some good friends there, and um, really come into um, met, met some lifelong friends there. Yeah. I, mean, I still have really good close friendships now, even you know, 20 years, 21 years later, and then I also got to spend some time with some mentors who were helpful. And um, so I, I spent some time there and then moved to uh, Dallas Baptist University. Mm-hmm. And um, at Dallas Baptist University on September 11th, I uh, woke up just like everybody did um, to seeing the towers falling yeah. um, in New York. And um, 
that had a profound effect on me spiritually. It had a profound effect, I think, on the country. And uh, I I dropped out of school and uh, joined the Marine Corps and moved, went from, you know, being at a Baptist school mm -hmm. um, and joined the Marine Corps. And then once again, I'm in this really interesting place because um, in the Marines, there there's not a whole lot to do um, when you're not training. Right. And we train a lot. Yeah. So when you're not training, you either drink, you either lift weights, or you go to church. Mm -hmm. Pretty much the, the three, uh, the three uh, choices that you have. And so in the Marine Corps, you actually end up finding a lot of people who are believers, yeah. believe it or not. Hmm. And, uh, but there's also like a lot of folks who are kind of heading off in the other, other directions. And then there's folks who are kind of in the middle who, who um, I found that there were people who were at the very beginning of faith in Christ, yeah, but that who were still very much caught up in, in living um, worldly lives. And it's a very easy thing to do, right? Because you're in an environment in which uh, alcohol and sexual promiscuity is very accepted, if not um, promoted. Right. Um, and then uh, spiritualism, I think um, is also promoted as as part of like the warrior ethos, hmm. um, kind of as a stabilizer to the the aggressive, you know, war fighting mentality. There's this idea that you need to be spiritually fit as well, but they let you pick what that means, right? Yeah, you know. Um, so when I was in the Marine Corps, I was still kind of developing spiritually, and um, and at that point. Uh, and I met my wife somewhere around there. And, um, man, there's so much history there, thinking mm -hmm. back. Um, so I don't even know if I've answered the question for you. <laughs> I could, I'm just kind of giving you a history. No. Um, so at, at some point, and, and we could skip ahead a little bit, but, yeah. you know, at some point when when you grew and, and matured spiritually, yeah. um, you start to to really realize what it means to deny yourself and take up the cross. Yeah. Uh, because that's, like we said earlier, that's something that people don't understand is, yeah, you accept Jesus in your heart, you know you need Jesus. Yeah. But there's not a switch. Uh, for some people there might be, mm -hmm. but uh, for a lot of people there's not a switch, especially if you're older, where you immediately go from all the things you did mm -hmm. to switching to go to all the things you should be doing. Yeah. So there's there's a growth and progression that goes along the way. But and at some point, yeah, we start to realize what that truly means <clears throat> to deny ourselves and to follow the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so you 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 did that in, in school. You took that with you in the military. Now coming out of the military, mm -hmm. um, what, what were your next steps? Where's the Holy Spirit leading you now? Not not right now, but yeah, I mean, yeah. coming out of the military. Um so that, that looking back it it seems seamless but but remembering the details it's a mess yeah. right i'm a very stubborn person mm -hmm. and um i uh i don't mind working hard and i don't always look at difficulty as being or adversity as being a bad thing right, right. so uh m the while I was in the Marine Corps, I I did a lat move or basically a switch jobs when I was mm -hmm. in the Marine Corps in order to re-enlist, and I I did some um, I, I switched into a a job in the intelligence community, and I really enjoyed it. Um, 
but I got to a point where I had to decide uh, between being married or being in the Marines. Mm, yeah. Because at that point, it, it's just, as much as I enjoyed the Marine Corps, um, it is a young man's job. Yeah. And it is not conducive to, to growing a family. And the amount of stress that it puts on a family is immense. Most Marines um, divorce, I think, at a rate of around 70 to 75%. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah. And uh, many Marines remarry multiple times. In fact, I remember when I was getting ready to get out, um, my, uh, my gunnery sergeant looked at me and he goes, um, he said, Wilford, you got to make a choice. Um, he goes, there's plenty of women out there. There's only one Marine Corps. Hmm. He's like, look at me. I'm on my third wife, and I'm doing great. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and I and I looked at him and, and look back. You know, I got a lot of compassion on these guys now because I understand where they're coming from. Right? Yeah. These guys, you, you join the Marines when you're 17, 18, 19 years old, and you don't know anything else, right? And so you look at it and you go, well, man, you, wife doesn't want to be with me, and the problems with the wife, not not me or the Marine Corps, right? Hmm. And so. When you get to that level, um, there's a there's a really clear, rational reason as to why. Well, wife's not working out. Let's get a new one, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, I remember just deciding I'm not I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, my relationship with my with Lisa, my wife, was we were going through a really hard time. Um, yeah. She was in residency for um, for medical uh, school. Well, after post medical school residency and uh you know that's kind of like a black hole all mm. in itself in fact if you want to interview her then she'd, <laughs> she'd probably come out and tell you all yeah. about it yeah um but it's intense intense training um for her and and it's sort of non-stop rounds in the hospital and what they do is they try to take you from all the book knowledge that you got in medical school for the last four years now it's this crash crash course in application of that, right? yeah. and so you're just gone all the time. And uh, so we were not happy with each other. We were not happy with our marriage. Um, we were not happy with God. Um, there was a sense of uh, you know a lot of animosity there. And uh, so I made the choice. I made the choice. Well, I'm, I'm going to get out, and I'm going to focus on my family. And about that time, we. Um, we found out that we were pregnant with my oldest, Emery, hmm. and uh, he's 11. No, he's nine. He's nine. So <laughs> he was born in 2011. <laughs> That's the thing. Okay. So, um, yeah, so we found out in that period of time that Lisa was pregnant with um, Emery and that, uh, and, um, and so I got out of the Marine Corps. And what was interesting is um, the Lord used. Emory to, um, to really heal our marriage, right? Um, one of the things that Lisa and I um, call Emory is um, he is our um, our Ebenezer, right? So um, I don't know, if, are you familiar with the the term? No. So um, there's the song. Um, uh, Come thou fount, right? Come mm -hmm. thou fount yeah. of every. Blessing. Blessing, thank you. Yeah. yeah. And I love that song. That's why when you put me on the spot, I can't think of it anymore. Yeah, no, but I love that song, right? And and in part of the song, it goes in there, and here I raise my Ebenezer, right? And mm -hmm. I believe that it's from Joshua, the book of Joshua. And what happens is that the Israelites go through a really tough time. Um, and and I'm 
digging really deep here, so you're gonna have to correct me if my <laughs> my Bible knowledge is wrong. But at the end of this period of time, God shows up and He rescues them. And I think uh, it may have even been Jacob prior to the Israelites. But they set up this this Ebenezer, and it was I'm not said. Um, yeah, they set up an Ebenezer, and it was a monument to God's faithfulness yeah. in restoration. And uh, so, you know, even after essentially choosing the Marine Corps over my family for, over, you know, for a long period of time, and um, it essentially, you know, obviously in, in, in the amount of time that we have together, like there, it's, it would be difficult to go back and, sure. and sort of relive every moment where mm-hmm. you say to God, uh, my way's better, or um, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on just a little longer to all these things because, you know, like C.S. Lewis put it, I'm having too much fun playing in, playing with the mud pies yeah. in the slum. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but as I look back to, to that, I see God's faithfulness over and over and over again to that original promise of a uh, you know scared seven-year-old little boy looking down into the uh, the night, mm. and and as best I could, giving what I knew of my life, or or hoping, and casting what little faith I had, and saying, okay, I need you, Jesus, and that was enough. Somehow, that was enough to garner His faithfulness over mm. a life of of stubbornness and rebelliousness and and mistakes and uh so uh yeah so my life's full of ebenezers and and my uh my oldest boy is probably Hmm. the biggest one i think so when i got out of the marine corps i did what a lot of guys do um uh, they get out and they're really interested in law enforcement or we try to get into one of the three-letter agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, uh, a top-secret security clearance at the time. And so my my goal was to sort of parlay that into one of the intelligence services or in working for the FBI. So I, I sure. went and I applied to yeah. work for the FBI. So natural flow. Yeah. 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 Um, and... When I got there, uh, you know, I went to the inter- interview process. I'm fluent in in Spanish and in English. Um, I have an intelligence background. I've lived overseas. I'm a combat veteran, and I've got good grades. So I look I look pretty good for what they need and look for at that time. And um, come to find out that uh, one of the very first things I'm told is that I don't get to choose where my first duty station was. Mm, so yeah. I don't know what they yeah. call it. Anymore. Assignment or whatever. Assignment, yeah. yeah. What, but they were, I think they were sending me to DC or that was kind of what the recruiter was saying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, man, that's just, sounds just like where I came from. Right. Like, why do I want to <laughs> sign my life over again to Uncle Sam? So uh, I didn't, I, I can't remember. I was like the first or second round of the interviews and I told him I was, I was done. And, um, then I went and, and I was working for uh, the Raleigh Police Department, and I thought that would be the answer to my um, to all my hopes and dreams. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I joined up with them, and uh, I was um, waiting to go to the police academy. And uh, in the meantime, what they had this program where they will 
um, let uh, new hires work for the police department in one of their offices. Yeah. Um, either like filing or like helping, like in like doing like real menial work, like investigations sure. yeah. or you know, it's it's not like you're not doing police work. Right. You're just doing like all the stuff that the cops don't want to do. You're doing that. Um, so I I actually um, got to go work at their uh, at their police training center. Mm-hmm. So um, when I got out of the, the Marines and I decided not to do the FBI. Um, I spent about six months working for the Raleigh Police Department, mowing the grass at their uh, training center, <laughs> and uh, I spent six months picking up brass at their ranges. Yeah. You know, and I spent six months. Um, I, I, you know, looking back on it, it was kind of fun. Uh, I'd, I'd done who knows countless shoot houses in the Marine Corps. Yeah, but I got to be like the bad guy in their shoot yeah. house a couple yeah. times. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was fun. I got to shoot some folks with paint rounds and, um, you know, we, but it was just menial work. And so, um, what it allowed me to do actually in during that period of time, um, was listen to a lot of podcasts mm-hmm. and, um, listen to, uh, John Piper's, yeah. uh, dissection of Romans. Right. Yeah. And it, and he's got years of that. I think he I think he did seven years on Book of Romans alone mm, wow. or something like that. So there's plenty in there. Yeah. Um, and so I just started listening to the Book of Romans, and you know I'm doing this while I'm mowing the grass or driving something around or cutting trees down or picking up brass or whatever it is. Like I'm listening to Romans over and over and over and over again. And what I get from it is this sort of honing of my theology, right? Mm. I start moving away from from holding on to the idea that I'm saved because I said a prayer when I'm seven years old to I'm saved because God is working his power in my life mm. from now until the end of time. And that his faithfulness is such that it overcomes all of my rebelliousness and all of my great ideas and mm. all of the things that I think are so... Um, such a great path to be on. He's he's faithful to that uh, <clears throat> He's faithful to that He's faithful to the seven year old boy hmm. looking down the steps, right? Yeah. And so that's the uh, that's the amazing, beautiful thing about it, is that we are so uh, one way in our thinking, and God's like, I'm the master of all things. Yeah, you know, and I didn't just make a promise to you when you were seven years old. I made that promise to you. <clears throat> excuse me. I made the promise to you before I laid the foundations of the earth. Yeah. Right? Because in Revelations it says, uh, gosh, I forgot the verse again. Uh, <laughs> go back That's and like me. <laughs> right? But in Revelations it, it says that, that it's, um, gosh, it's, the, it's the, the names are recorded in the book of the Lamb 
before the foundations of the earth or yeah, something to that effect. Yeah. I'll have to look it up now that I'm throwing it out here for forever. Um, but yeah, that. It, so if am I saved? Yeah, but I'm I'm being saved, mm. and I will be saved, and there is nothing I can do about it, and that is awesome. Uh, <laughs> the other day I was I was listening to uh, I can't remember what it was, but um, I think somebody was quoting John MacArthur, and yeah. and somebody goes, um, or John MacArthur says, "Look, if you could lose your salvation, you would." Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, so, um, yeah. So fast forward. Yeah. So fast forward a little bit. Um, tell me about Camp Anathan. How how is it that? Well, tell me about Camp Anathan. Yeah. But but how did the Holy Spirit lead you into this venture? Uh, well, I mentioned I'm stubborn, and I have a problem with listening. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, but I don't mind working hard, and and I'll and I'll, you know, that's one of the great things I learned about watching my dad, um, who has had a job since he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fourteen. Yeah. Right, he's from that generation. Yeah, that's that. My dad. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, he's like seventy-seven, seventy-eight. I'll get in trouble here because I'm missing his age. But as far as I know, I, my dad's had a job since he was fourteen or fifteen. Mm-hmm. His first job was waking up at three thirty or four o'clock in the morning, collecting newspapers, and <laughs> he had a newspaper route right out in Lubbock, Texas. And then he would go uh, to school and play baseball, and then start over all over again. So watching my dad, strong work ethic, um, joining the Marine Corps, and obviously, you know, there they they just they take away whatever weaknesses and tendency towards laziness that you have, right. which um, a lot of people wouldn't know this about me, but I tend I am lazy. Mm. It's one of those things I have to fight all the time. Um, so I'm sitting here trying to do law enforcement. Um, FBI is not working. And I'm getting this pull from the Lord that law enforcement's not going to be it either. Yeah. And again, I'm like, well, I don't understand. You know, why not? And I think one of the things that I was looking for in this period of time was I was trying to, I was trying to get back to the sense of community that I'd found in the Marine Corps. Right. That tight knit group of guys who. Um, who are spending time with each other and um, I kept looking for it. And, um, and so one of the things that happened when I was in the, uh, in the, the police academy. So, okay. So I was, I finally went through that period of time where I was cutting grass and picking up brass and I ended up in the police academy and I was the, um, I was the the guide or the the class leader. Yeah. And um, we were going through some training. And uh, one of the things that I realized as I went through the training was that I had been trained in the Marine Corps to be uh, 10 times more aggressive and violent than what they wanted me to be in the police. Right. And it scared me Mm. because... When you're aggressive and violent right off the bat, you get the upper hand and you win yeah. and you get to come home. Yeah. And when I realized that I all of a sudden had a 
a spectrum of force, right? And I had policy telling me when and when I couldn't use that spectrum mm -hmm. of force. And okay, now we're going to increase from verbal to now we're going to put our hands on you, or now we're going to use the taser, or now we're going to use. And I didn't like that because in the Marine Corps, I'd been taught just butt stroke him, right? Yeah. And, <clears throat> or we're going to bayonet him, or we're yeah. going to shoot him and then be done with it, move on to our next objective. And so when I saw that in the in the police department, it frightened me because I, the, from my perspective on it, and it take being a cop's hard work. My my hat goes after the off my hat, my heart. I don't know. My hat comes off. My heart goes out. Right. <laughs> um, I have a lot of respect for the police officers because you have to have an immense amount of self control, an immense amount of restraint to do that job. Mm. And I always thought that Marines had that, um, but we get to flip the switch. Um, and officers don't get to do that very often. And and it frightened me. So I I uh I remember watching a video where um you know you you probably seen tons of videos like this, but we were going through training and they were showing a video of like how to properly um knock on somebody's door and the way that you're supposed to like you know approach the building and everything mm -hmm. because there was an officer who went up to knock on the door and then the suspect inside the building just starts shooting. Yeah. And um, and as I'm watching, I'm I'm watching it from a Marine's perspective, sure. right? Yeah. And I'm not seeing anyone return fire, right? Because yeah. in Marine Corps, you the the immediate objective is to establish fire superiority so that you can maneuver and then kill at close range, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting here and this cop's like falling down, like trying to get out of the way and his buddies are like diving out of the way, you know? And they're just not trying to stay. In my, my mind, it's like, we should be leveling the house right now. Yep. And yep. Um, so it frightened me. And uh, um, and so I, I just uh, got to the point where, even though I was doing really well, I was in the top of the class, I was physically fit, I was well-liked, had good grades. Um, I wasn't sleeping at night, mm. um, and I was I was nervous, and I was I was started having um, anxiety that I was making a terrible mistake. Yeah, and I had some other veterans um, in that uh, in the class with me, and one by one the other veterans started dropping out. Mm. Again, not because they couldn't hack it or because right. but for yeah. the same reason I think, yeah. and and I think the general sentiment was this isn't was what I was looking for. Right, and. So uh, one day, I you know woke up at four o'clock in the morning, just like all the other days. But instead of putting my my little trainee uniform on, I just wore jeans and a button down, and I went in there and told the the uh, the class sergeant that uh, I wasn't going to do it anymore. Yeah, which was um, another another kick in the gut. Mm -hmm. That's and, hard. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm because I don't like to quit, right? Right. So. Um, and so let me just interrupt for a second yeah. and tell you, as uh, you know, where I work, mm. um, I was that class sergeant for two and a half years over our police academy where I work. Yeah. Um, so I commend you for making that decision because yeah. there's a lot of people that have those kind of doubts yeah. where they realize this isn't the job for them, yeah. but they stay in it. Yeah. Uh, and that's dangerous. Yeah. So to be able to recognize that and say that, you know what? Yeah. Mm, yeah. This isn't for me and to be able to leave. So I commend you for that. That's yeah. That's good. It was a hard decision. Um yeah. and you know, I got buddies who stayed in. I got a very, very, very good friend of mine who is uh works for DPS and as a um he's in their 
investigations unit or something like that. And, um, you know, so I know guys who, who really enjoy it. But as I decided to pull away from that, um, the Lord began to impress upon me that I should work in summer camps. And, you know, it was completely opposite thing than to what yeah. I had been. Yeah. Know, uh, when uh, your enemy's only seven years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, well, in this case, yeah. you know, the enemy's boredom. You know? <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, so, but, um, yeah, he started pulling me in this direction. And uh, as I look back on my life, I've only ever loved doing two jobs. Mm. Uh, the first thing was uh, being in the Marine Corps. And the second thing was uh, working in summer camps. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've worked at um, Sky Ranch, which is mm -hmm. a huge summer camp out in East Texas. Um, I've worked at Camp Thurman. Um, I've worked at, uh, there's a, a, a great summer camp out in Rockwall called um, Sabine Creek Ranch and, and a bunch of other places. And so what I found was during that period of time, that sort of six months when I'm mowing grass, there was this sort of reorganization of my theology. Um, there was a realization that what I'd been looking for, I was not going to find in, in the police department, mm. um, which is unfortunate because I, I, I still think that that would have been a really fun job. Um, and then, uh, so I started saying, okay, well, if I'm going to do summer camps, let's see what happens. Um, <laughs> So how, you want the long story or the, the short story? <laughs> I'll look at the time. Let's go with the short story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So um, so I start submitting my application to work at, at summer camps. Mm. And inevitably, um, two or three times into the application process, I would end up being um, the uh, the, the last the, the one of the last two people to interview. Sure. And on three separate occasions, the, each of the others, each of the summer camps ended up hiring the person that had been there since they were a camper, mm. right? And so what I realized was if I was going to be in summer camps, that I was going to have to build my own. And, <laughs> and, and saying it now um, out loud, uh, it, it's very cocky thing to say, <laughs> um, and it's it and it's. Um, it's something that you say when you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was not a bad thing, right? Because I didn't have anything t holding me back. Right. There was nothing kind of obstructing my my faith or, or my mindset for being able to do it. I just thought, well, let's yeah. do a summer camp. Yeah. So I ended up working at a couple places um, after that. Um, I uh, was hired on for to, to build a summer camp at one place in when I got their program, when I was developing their program, I realized that um, that really the only thing that was keeping me from from doing it was just having a place to do it. Mm. So, um, and again, this is all super condensed. So, um, I just talked to my wife, and she's super supportive on board with it. And she goes, "Well, let's let's see what happens." So, um, it was a two year process of me going out and looking at properties in Mansfield, Texas, mm -hmm. and submitting um, offers on properties. Yeah. And we almost bought an ostrich farm. Um, and it was like... <laughs> would you have kept the ostriches for the summer camp? Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a great piece of property. It had like a three-acre uh, yeah. lake on it. and uh, But they were selling 80 acres. Oh. And it had a house on it. And um, I just I offered... 
I to buy like 60 acres. Yeah. And uh, when I made my offer, the guy was like, look, um, we really like you guys, but we had somebody else just buy everything, including the cows. And so, <laughs> wow. <laughs> right. And so I was like, okay, well, it's not going to work then. Right. Yeah, he, <laughs> so what you're saying is so, no. <laughs> so we choose not on this one. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we uh, made some offers on some other properties and, uh, one of the properties that we were going to buy was looking really promising. It was actually on Broad Street um, in uh, in Mansfield. And there's a – you know the old man house in Mansfield? Um, it may not anymore. It's on Broad Street right now. And we were looking at that, and I was going to buy it, and I'd made an offer. And looking back, it was so silly because – and it just goes to, like, what I didn't know, right? Yeah. I'm young and, and or younger and I was fighting with the buyer, with the seller over like $10,000, I think, on the sales huh. price. Yeah. And um, they ended up selling the property to the city of Mansfield and then that same property that I was trying to buy and haggling over 10000 and walked away from Mansfield bought and now they are converting it into like a historical park. Huh. And so, yeah. And then, so anyway, I was going to buy another piece of property and that fell through because of uh, environmental reasons. And we ended up, finding the property that we own now. Yeah. And um, this is another one of those uh, God stories where just the Lord is, is is faithful if you jump out and, and follow him. And, um, and and that to say that it's so loaded, because I don't know your life, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know what the Lord has planned for you. But for us, um, we found a piece of property that we couldn't afford, mm. And because I had made so many offers on other properties and been rejected so many times, I thought, what's another one, right? <laughs> so I made an offer, and they accepted it. Uh, wow. And we were we offered way below their asking price. And it turns out it was a, a sweet um, little old couple who had owned the property for 40-something years, and had it had been their baby. And uh, they were thrilled to death that, that we were going to take their little you know, slice of heaven and mm. turn it into a summer camp versus, you know, tear it up and, and turn it into a yeah, subdivision or, right. you know, oil wells were real popular at the time, gas wells. So they sold it to us. And um, I kid you not, during the process for the sale, the title company, the lady who owned the title company, embezzled money from her title company. Mm. To the tune of like three or four million dollars. Wow! And left to Chicago with millions of dollars. Yeah. And our our money that we had put on the down payment, along with all the documents that proved that that the deal was signed, um, ours was the very last deal that she signed off on hmm. before she got on the airplane and went to. Chicago. Wow. And the only reason we know that is because the attorney, our attorney had called her and said, look, you're way behind on this. We need this now, or we're going to take legal action. Mm. And she said, I'm sending it over to you. And, and I'm, and because I'm leaving on a trip and he, she sent it. And, uh, but for a while there, there was in doubt as to whether or not we even own the property. And we're really fortunate because the 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 folks that owned it, the Wombles, they're really sweet, and they technically had our money hmm. and the property, mm-hmm. and we didn't own it. And had they been nefarious, they could have just said, sure. "Sorry, guys," yeah. you know. 
thanks for the 150,000. Yeah. Whatever our down payment was, it had been our life savings and we sold our house. Like we'd basically scraped together everything we had um and 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 put it together. So we sign off on the property and Lisa comes out and says, um, hey, I'm pregnant with my with our second kiddo. Mm-hmm. And so now you know we're looking at this monstrosity of a property, it's 22 acres that we're going to build a summer camp on. No experience doing it whatsoever, <laughs> other than the fact that yeah. I'm willing to work hard, right? Yeah. And I'd worked at some summer camps, so um, we uh, people just start showing up, and we uh, open up our very first summer um, six weeks or six months after purchasing the property. And we sell out that first year. Um, we sell out our second year. We sell out our third year. Mm. We sell out our fourth year. COVID happens. <clears throat> um, we think nobody's going to come. And we see more people um, year five than we had any other year. Yeah. Um, and so, um, again, it just goes back to, to me remembering that the Lord is faithful on his time. He's faithful in what he wants to do. And and my position to him is just that of being his child and sort of soaking up the the good and the bad, whatever whatever he decides to to throw out. Um well it's not even that, right? Because I'm I'm a big sovereignty of God mm-hmm. guy. You know, I believe mm-hmm. that that the Lord's got everything set and fixed. Um, and I know that that, that kind of does a, a number on your mind, like, are you saved? Are you not? Or is, is there predestination or is there not? And that's a whole other yeah. conversation, right? <laughs> um, so, but I just see this as like, you know, God's faithfulness to that seven-year-old kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, now 41 and who knows. So Camp Anthony, you've got, what have you got there? You've got a lake that they swim on and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, paddle boats, I think. You still have paddle boats? Yeah, we have some canoes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, when we first got out there the very first year, um, there was uh, about an acre pond, but it was yeah. it was like uh, six feet deep maybe, mm-hmm. five feet deep. And um, the the previous owners, the Wombles, would fish and they would duck hunt out of it, but it was not suitable for swimming right. whatsoever. Yeah. So we drained it and, um, and um, dug it out deeper. And uh, and and so we filled it back up, and we kayak and swim and fish out of it, and we have a swimming pool and um, other camp activities. You know, kind of do traditional summer camp activities. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, good, awesome. Well, um, what about a favorite verse? Yeah, I was looking those up too. Um, <clears throat> the there's so many of them. Uh, I like this one. Um, Hebrews ten fourteen. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Mm. And uh, I remember that um, by a single offering, that's Jesus Christ, right? Um, he has perfected for all time those who are being uh, sanctified. And so in God's economy, when you look at it, he sees our life as as because he's outside of time, right? And he gets to see it through his perspective, so when he says something like, by a single offering Christ died on the cross, he has perfected for all time mm. those who are being sanctified. You're like, hold on, well, the tense is off there, right? Mm. 
how's how you perfected for all time those who wait who are in the process of being perfected right yeah and so there's this there's this certainty in in scripture this this finality to god's promises he says to you now look i've made the deal i've i've created it all right and everything that i have is sufficient it's enough because i've perfected right for all time yeah right those who are being sanctified so good word yeah Good word. So uh, a final thing here, if anybody that's listening to this podcast is interested in Camp Anathan or is interested in their kids participating somehow, how can they get in touch with with, or learn more about Camp Anathan? Do you have a website or Facebook or contact information? Yeah, yes to all that. Um, The easiest thing to do is probably just look us up on the website, uh, www.campanathan.org, and we have a good reputation. People seem to like us, and they keep coming back out. So So for those that don't know, spell Anathan. A N O T H E N. Okay, that yeah. way that get that website right. Yeah, and it, it <laughs> means uh, from above, and there's a whole other story to that. Yeah, so, yeah. outstanding. All right, David Williford, thank you, Camp Anathan. Thanks for coming, man. Yeah, no, I thanks for having me. It. Sorry, I went on and on. So. <laughs> That's no problem. We're under yeah. the one hour limit that I try to stop people on. <laughs> there you That's go. That's great. Good. All right, folks, if you want to know more about who Jesus is in your life, you can go to www.shockwaveministries.com. You can click on the gospel message where you'll hear uh, or see the Roman road in there and some other resources as well to learn who Jesus is. Um, also, you can click on the Testament tab and we'll have a list of podcasts that we've already played and some that are coming up in the future as well. And you can subscribe to this podcast pretty much anywhere you get your podcast. If you have a hard time finding it, just go to Anchor FM, uh, I'm sorry, anchor.fm slash the Testament. You can find our podcast there as well. Appreciate you guys listening and thanks for coming. Bye.